Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. All right, this week we're going in a little bit of a different direction for us. We don't do a lot of hard rock or heavy metal, but this week we get to hear from Mark Torian, frontman for The Bullet Boys. I've always really liked The Bullet Boys. They kind of broke out big like a lot of those, you know, during that 80s hair metal heyday in the late 80s with this track right here, Smooth Up In Ya. I love this song. And they rode that way for a little while. Like a lot of other, you know, bands of their ilk, they were hit hard in the 90s. Now, Mark and I discussed this. He feels differently. He feels like they weren't really, it really didn't impact them that much. And he's he may be right. They've continued on. The Bullet Boys have always, you know, periodically put out new music here and there and remained a, a force. I got to see them in concert recently. It was so good. So anyway, they've been on a little bit of a creative resurgence, though. In 2015, they put out what I think is their very best album. It's called Elefante, and I love that album. And then even last week, they put out another brand new album called From Out of the Skies, and it's solid too. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. I've wanted to talk to Mark all along. He was one of the first people that I had in mind, but, and I've mentioned this before, I don't go after the hard rock and heavy metal people that often because I feel like there's already hundreds of podcasts that kind of cover that territory. And they're probably better at it than I am. And so I just thought, I'll, I'll hold off. But I, it's, I wasn't seeing, you know, Mark Torian being inundated with interviews. I was not hearing what I wanted from Mark. And so I thought, well, why not me? I'll go after him and, and he can tell me his story. And there's really interesting stuff in here, I think, anyway. So I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. I think he is a super nice, gracious guy. I really, really like talking to him. And I hope you guys will check out the new album or enjoy the songs that we play in here off of that album. All right? Good dude. He called me from his home in L.A. For starters, I, um, I've been a fan of yours for a long time. And I finally, just a few months ago, got to see you guys live for the first time. I'm in Denver and you were here at the Silver Spur Saloon. Shout out to my friend Ken Morris, who does the sound at that place. And it was such a great show. And the thing that I really took away from it is that there were two or three openers before you guys. And we got there early, my buddy and I, and we were watching the openers. And when you came on, it was there was such a drastic distinction between who is a pro and who isn't a pro, you know? And I don't mean any disrespect oh, to the other much. bands, but you came on like the guy who's been doing this professionally for so long, knows exactly what he's doing, knows exactly how to work a crowd. And it was so killer. And so I, I came oh, away. Thank you, man. Absolutely. I came away that night an even bigger fan. I just was so impressed by your professionalism. What a pro you were. And so um, I just wanted you to know that because I, I, uh, I was really knocked out. It was a great, great show. Thank you for saying those kind uh, uh, words to me. I don't get to hear them very often. So I greatly appreciate you sure. saying that to me. I've, I've been doing this since uh, uh, I've been about seven years old and I come from a musical family. So it's pretty much in my blood. Yeah. And uh, so it's it's kind of like a little mini Jackson story. But our family was uh, Matrina. So we had our, our little thing growing up in Montebello. And that's where I started, uh, mm. basically. You know, really, I come from a very strict Showtime people, you know, really? have been in the business. And uh, yeah, we always had to be on our game huh. when it came to our talent. So okay. I, my parents taught me a lot, too, about about performance and uh, especially about professionalism, which is really 
I'm taking it back by that you said that because I don't, I don't hear that very often these days because I don't think maybe guys take it as uh, seriously mm. or as like as as I do. Yeah. I, it, uh, I'm a performer. Uh, I am uh, uh, pretty much uh, in that old school. How would you say R&B type mm-hmm. of but block singer? Yeah. Uh, so my performances are a little different. So yeah, no man, I just yeah. uh, you know I I just don't think a lot of people these days really. It's very difficult for me, and not, I'm not saying this in a in a derogatory way at mm-hmm. all to offend anybody or any bands mm-hmm. because everybody works diligently hard. I just when I go to a show, I I, I want to be moved, yeah. and I want to see the artist being that artist, being yeah. that representative of himself, uh, instead of just standing there behind a mic. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like if if you're Liam from Oasis, mm-hmm. it works. <laughs> you know, it, 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 he's he's full of piss and vinegar, and right. it's it, that's the perform. It's it, it's that sullen British, you know, talented, magical guy that can stand there and do that. But right. it, it's very few and far between. Yes. So Agreed. me, I want to see like you, like like you said, a, a person that's a command of his craft. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting when you're able to see that. Uh, we've lost a, <clears throat> a lot of talent. Where that actually was that mm. Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, Chris Cornell, Chester Bennington, sure. uh, Dio, yeah. I mean, uh, the, uh, the amazing and magical David Bowie yeah. that were performers. And I'm from, I'm not trying to put myself in, 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 in that class, but I'm, I'm a performer. Right. Uh, An entertainer. In that, in, that, in that aspect, I'm an yeah. entertainer. Got it. You know, you saying this makes a lot more sense because one of the first things I was curious about with you is how someone like you with the voice that you have discovers that voice. Because, you know, so many people, they find their voices singing in church or they find it singing at home around the piano. But yours being this amazing instrument, so powerful, you have to. Well, sure, but that's not something. How do you find that? How do you find it within yourself that this is something you can do? When you're a kid, are you singing along to Led Zeppelin? Because I know you have an R&B background. Where does it, mm-hmm. where do you find this? That's a really great question. And thank you for asking that. I don't think it's something that I found. I think it's something that found me. Mm. I, I have a lot of, I'm a man of faith. I'm, I'm not a man of religious and religious and sex and mm-hmm. uh, sex and, and things like that or uh, I'm a person of faith. I believe in God, and and I really believe that uh, God uh, blessed me with this talent. Mm-hmm. I believe that all of us are blessed with some sort of talent, even if we don't know that we have talent, mm-hmm. but that we're all magical in our own ways. I just happened to be when I grew, when I was first started singing, I, I was singing songs that were folk songs, uh, Carol King songs, uh, Stevie Wonder, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Steve Marriott, uh, cats like that. And, you know, okay. but I also, my father has a, uh, is a huge jazz, he's a trombonist, and uh, he was in a huge jazz band back in the day, St. Ken's Orchestra. And he turned me on to, you know, unknowingly turned me on to a lot of jazz, a lot of Latino percussion stuff, mm-hmm. uh, Joe Cuba, people like, like that. But he also listened to Eric Clapton and cream. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he listened to iron butterfly and, you know, mm-hmm. like he listened to different, he was always listening to different music, plus musical theater. My mother listened to a lot of musical theater and my, my parents performed in uh, musical theater mm-hmm. uh, and also as the backing bands for, for local 
musical theater performances. Okay. So all that music is kind of, it's all in my, in my mind and yeah. kind of thrown in the blender. So, you know, I'll pull out different things from, uh, from different, uh, musicalities and, and music that I like that maybe mm -hmm. some people wouldn't have. Like, for instance, um, there's a song on a new album called Losing End. Thought I was your champ of the world Now I'm a knight in dirty armor Without you, girl, in the end I'm on the losing end again Purple roses, the thoughts cut deep But this thrill of perseverance Smells so sweet I'm on the man And on the losing end again Can't pretend I'm on the winning end again Cause every time I stumble I I play congas and timbales, and I consider myself uh, somewhat of a, of a gonguero being able to play that because I've been playing that instrument for, since I was very, very young. So I wanted to create a loop in this song, <clears throat> and I didn't want it to be a uh, manufactured loop with, uh, with modern technology. So okay. what I did is I went and played it. All the all the old percussive instruments that you would hear on Sergio mm. Mendez in the, in the Brazil '66. Nice. Uh, I, I was listening to a lot of eclectic music for this record. Uh, listening okay. to a lot of old David Bowie stuff. So I, I pulled from there and uh, to try to create that. So I used clavis, I used widos, I used congas, I used uh, wood blocks, anything anything that you know could create a sound. I used matches, uh, mm. just things that were that created a different sound that, that wasn't a sample of something, but that was really real. So in that song, when I listen to it, um, mm -hmm. I'm going like, wow, they, all these, these things are all copacetic, mm -hmm. these, these different sounds, but they, they found this, this beautiful congruency. And I think when you're able to like really delve into stuff like that, that maybe people, um, a lot of rock and roll guys don't really do that. They're, right. you know, and I'm not trying to, say that again but you know sure. i think most guys like are there into tone or mm -hmm. what's the guitar tone and how big is the kick drum sound i mean yeah <laughs> they're not thinking about going in that direction but with my musical background uh this record it, we wanted to really step out and, and do something that was risky and i and, and we'll continue to do so because Good. we were when we listened to it as a whole uh, as a band and you sit back and i i, I just want to quote c-mac on this because he's like we had it mastered and he goes you know, I just want to say this. He goes, this went from being like this record to this huge, like U2 sounding record. Really? <laughs> no way. Yeah, oh. and, and we were all, we were driving, right? And we were driving to a gig. And, and we yeah. all kind of just stopped and we went, Chad? <laughs> and he goes, I know it's profound because Chad, Chad, I love him with all my heart. I love him so hard. He's my guy. And, uh -huh. you know, and we've been together now for eight years, you know, and, uh, He's extremely intelligent, so has a plethora of, of stories to tell because uh, he's a dictionary of music. Got it. So he knows so much about 
bands and, and music and history. So he goes, and then he stopped for a second because that, that was really completely outrageous. I said, no, 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 that wasn't outrageous. It's my feeling in my heart. The heart mm -hmm. spoke. He goes, it's the sound that we've created where it's this larger than life thing. Yeah. For a band like a, a, this little band, I was called this little band from SoCal. Sure. But he goes, we're, we're playing with the big boys now. Yeah. And we all kind of went like, wow, you know, because mm -hmm. we were. It, the, the music is at a certain level that I don't think a lot of bands from our genre. Uh, yeah. Are kind of expressing deficit. themselves that way. No, no. And, and, yeah. and it, it saddens me. I mean, uh, it really dumbfounds me also that there's so much talent from that era and they all seem to drift back to the sound that they mm -hmm. had in the past created. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, but it's never, I've learned so much by, by some of the amazing people that have been around in my life and have been blessed by in the music business. There's a thing called reinvention. Mm -hmm. You have mm -hmm. to be able to reinvent yourself. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I mean, you know, unless you have the best spaghetti sauce in the world and the best, you know, <laughs> Italian restaurant. <laughs> right. And everybody's coming for your spaghetti every night and the meatballs are going, don't change a thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But such is life. It's not mm -hmm. like that. So yeah. to me, I wish more artists would step out of their comfort zone Interesting. and try to do something that was mm -hmm. magically delicious. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, I haven't so. I haven't heard the new album yet. I have heard the track Apocalypto that's on Spotify. really strong um but you, you so saying much. sure you saying all this i going back to elefante from three years ago i guess yes that is a masterwork and a band in your situation it's not likely that a band like bullet boys is putting out an album as strong as elefante almost 30 years into their career you know and I mean, every oh, track is, oh yeah, every track on that thing is so good.
it's incredible. It's the best uh, to me personally as a fan. It's the best thing you've ever done. But it doesn't. Bands in your situation you. don't produce their best work this late in the game. And so you saying that it makes yeah. some sense that, that you know you kind of you're branching out or expanding on the idea of what you know hard rock can be with adding this. There's a soulful quality. In fact, I wanted to ask you specifically, going back sure. to your voice. I know that you're you started way back in Motown with Cagney and the Dirty Rats. Is that it? Yes. 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 I I'm actually uh, part of the Motown family. know when you li really listen it it seems incongruous but when you really listen to your voice that doesn't surprise me at all the guy who sang the villain on elefante could very easily had been have been a r&b singer from back in the 80s and i was curious oh, well i was curious if that was ever presented as an option for you back then when you're signed on motown records and you're with cagney and the dirty rats is there a moment there where you have to choose between going a soul road and going the hard rock roll road yeah there was and it was a really hard thing for me to do because my heart was pulling me into r&b and funk mm. and soul music but my punk so punk rock side of me and hard rock and metal side of me was pulling very hard because <clears throat> i saw these bands that were coming out of la and i really thought that myself and my best friend lonnie vincent had something to say we were two guys that saw each other's um, talent mm -hmm. and wanted to do something at a really high level and no one would let us come around. Hmm. They wouldn't let us into parties. They always scorned me and Lonnie when we showed up. Oh, there's that stupid beaner, that other, the, mm. that poor white trash guy, you know? And the, believe me, it's the truth that we've heard it, you know? So pe there was a lot of people that really scorned me and Lonnie and we were very loving dudes, but when it all came down to it, I think they were afraid of our talent huh. and uh, that we were actually really talented. And Lonnie didn't take any, you know, any guff from anybody. He was always, uh, you know, he grew up surfing and skateboarding and, you know, he, he was just a straight out badass in his youth. And we were best friends and he revered my talent and uh, told me that I was going to be one of the biggest stars ever with my voice. Wow. He said, drop, drop this guitar. Uh -huh. And I guarantee you, you'll be a huge rock star. And he was right. Wow. And um, 
because I'd been playing guitar and singing for so many years, you know, that's how I started in the mm-hmm. backyard is playing guitar and singing. So he says, listen, you got to drop the guitar. He goes, mm-hmm. and, I, and, and, and it was a fight because, you know, he's like, I don't want you to drop the guitar because you're an amazing dude guitar player, but you have to because right. if me and you are going to get to that other place, you just got to be this front man. Uh-huh. Use that talent that you have, the, that charisma and shit that you do on stage to be that front man. He goes, and we're going we're gonna to get signed. Mm. So, and with his ability of never taking no for an answer from anybody and always asking why and never, never, never letting anybody really uh, get over what we were doing. We were the guys that had that piss and vinegar because yeah. uh, we, were t- we were tired of being basically shat on. Sure. Uh, in the city and looked down upon and frowned upon. And now I actually, and I'm saying this because I just had a conversation with him two days ago. I was, it's his birthday. So oh. we were having a little chat, you know, and, mm-hmm. and he says, man, you hit it dead on. He goes, and this, this guy, actually this big rock star came up and apologized to him for actually doing that to us back in the day here, like way over 30 years later. Oh, and really? he, he told me about, you know, he's going, can you believe so-and-so came up and apologized to me for that? Remember that time? And it's like, you got to be kidding me. Uh-huh. He goes, man, I go, man, that's probably been eating them up all these years. He goes, you think I'm all right? And he goes, it was just so odd that he came up and told me that, you know? And I was like, uh-huh. oh, my God, that's really, really cool. It's really rad because these days people don't go up and say that apologies to for anything, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> That's nice. Say, you, know, you know, your first record and you guys' records were just amazing. And you guys went on and became and did this. I was so wrong. And, you know, we treated you, you and Mark so shitty. I just want to come, please tell him, you know, That's my, great. you know, a million, all my, all apologies. And, Good. You know, all kudos to your guys' success. That's nice. So redemption. that was pretty bad. But, Good. you know, I think that's where it really started uh, with, with that. And uh, the Bullet Boy started in Lonnie's uh, mother's garage mm. uh, in Carson. And the reason why we called ourselves the Bullet Boys is because there were about three different gangs that we were around, and they loved us. But they would always have shootouts in the uh, how would you say it the alleyways, uh-huh. uh, the, the alleys. There's Yikes. a lot of alleys in the South Bay, right. and these guys, you know, at night would go and you know they they'd be fooling around with guns and shooting mm-hmm. at each other, whatever the fuck they were doing. Mm-hmm. And one day, Lonnie's brother, Mike Michael Vincent, may rest in peace. He came in and we, we walked into the garage and he's he's holding these bullets in his hand. And he's like and he's like looking all weird and scared, like I go Lonnie goes, dude, what's going on? You know? Mm-hmm. He goes, dude, I just picked these off the ground. We're thinking like we got termites. It's not the termites, dude, it's bullets. No way. So these guys are shooting at each other on at nine and go, Wow. So I think we had a friend over there or so I I think this is a story, I could be wrong, but yeah. We've been trying to find a name for the band and this guy was kind of an a-hole and he goes, Hey man, you guys should just call yourself the Bullet Boys, you know, that'd be rad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we kind of went like, we, Mike looked at me and he cocked uh-huh. his head like, and Lonnie was like, he went, dude, what did you just say? Yeah, that's and not bad. Lonnie was a tough guy. So the guy didn't want to, oh, I didn't say nothing, dude. It's like, no, dude, what did you say, man? Like, what did you say? What did you just say right now? Uh-huh. So he repeated it, and Lonnie goes, "You could be right, man." Mm. And we we went that night, and we hung out, and we were you know kicking back on the beach in Hermosa. And he goes, "Dude, I think we're the Bullet Boys." And I was like, "Fuck!" And it was done. 
And just like that. Oh, yeah, we just keep applying that to each other. It's like, yeah. hey, dude, I think we're the people. It's just like, and the next day was it. And, you know, we went to, yeah. you know, and we were talking to Mick. And he's, it's perfect. Oh, it's perfect. Great, you know? and cool. So okay. that's basically a little, a little hiss. Yeah, you know? a little history. Yeah. So one of the things that I like to talk about on here with people are the transitions in their life. When they start to, when things start to happen for them and how that, how they, how that affects their day to day. And so I'm curious, you know, the, you're getting Southern California, Sunset Strip, we'll call it hair oh. metal, even though that's not a, not the best term, but that's what people know it as with the Motley Crues and the Poisons and all those other bands are kind of gotcha. um, getting big around that same time. It's certainly the moment, if there's ever a historical moment for that kind of music, when this, when you, it started to break for you and you get signed and smooth up in you becomes a hit and everything. How do you celebrate? Do you, um, I imagine you go from playing in your buddy's mom's garage to getting your own place, maybe go buying a new car. There's probably girls, mm -hmm. there's partying. Mm -hmm. What did you do? Mm -hmm. How did you celebrate? I think we knew that we were becoming very successful when we sold out the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium. Oh, nice. Less than five. We sold it out in less than five minutes. Whoa, gosh. Yeah, we actually hold one of the records for the quickest selling out of that venue. And that venue to me and Lonnie, um, probably to Jimmy also, uh, I don't know if it was Nick, but most likely to Nick too, that is a very historical place for people that grew up here. There were many amazing bands. The mighty Van Halen played there. Yep. Uh, the Doors. I mean, you name it, any Southern Cal band that was anything, they played there. So when we played there, that to me was like the we Making were it. we were a success. Yeah, it was like wow, we're mm -hmm. we're 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 accepted by our hometown. Right, you know, we sold this place out, and it's like it was so amazing. Like I'll never forget that. I can still see it in the in my head how how the band was so on, and you know, we've waited so long to to be that band. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, I think. That was probably the show that I knew that um, things changed. That I knew that we were gonna, yeah, yeah, it, it really was. And, and for all intents and purposes, and you know, and I'll probably get a lot of flack for saying this, but most of the bands that we ended up opening up for, mm -hmm. they just couldn't meet our fire. Really, they really, just have, they just didn't have it. Yeah, we were so full of piss and vinegars. We would break all of our equipment after every show that we played when we know that we won. Uh -huh. And our thing was. Did we win or did we lose? Uh -huh. We we were very, we were very a uh, sports minded, uh, competitive type of thing, you know. Uh -huh. <clears throat> and also, we were drinking and using a lot back mm -hmm. in the day, so you didn't really want to cross us mm -hmm. because we were, you know, we we'd start fighting you. Yeah, it was right. Clothing, you know? Right. You look at us the wrong way, and, it, and it's lit. Yeah. So try doing that, and then being that on stage and being as sure. volatile as we were. It, that's how that's how we gained the following and, and people were they couldn't believe that Mick was snapping real less paws mm -hmm. with his foot at <laughs> right. the end of the show and busting right. up a five thousand dollar guitar yeah. or you know we're dumping over equipment Jimmy's picking up his bass his, his bass uh, bass drum and picking up above his head and smashing it to the ground yeah I mean that's it that's the kind of stuff that there's some of it on film Okay. <laughs> but there's not, it's not, it's probably a lot of folklore now, but yeah. I think we thought we were kind of like the who we wanted yeah. to be the who so bad. Killer. And we, just, we wanted to take everybody out. So 
the bands that played with us, they were really confused because, you know, we were really sweet, but you get us on uh, stage sure. and it's all hell broke loose. I believe we it. We turned into these crazy mo monsters. Right. Because we just wanted to, we, as young as we were, you know, we felt that we had been so wrong by, you know, people not believing in us mm -hmm. that we had, a, we were creating this amazing fan base and we just wanted to go out there and play for our fans. Mm -hmm. our family and our friends we nice. didn't care about the business it was right. not about that it was about performing and really showing people you don't want to play before us and you don't want to play after us trust mm -hmm. me mm -hmm. and people think wow these guys really have a big ego but it, it wasn't that it was just uh -huh. that we it's were a competitive environment sure all yeah. those bands would have said the same exact thing i mean you don't think Motley Crue wasn't going to let Poison wipe up the stage with them or any of those, you know, oh, yeah. any of the other bands that were big around that time down there. You know, well, it was a very competitive there, Yeah, there was a, we, when we toured with Poison, it's really ironic because uh, Cecil um, and the fellas and, and Brett, I just, we just love them to death, but they've been mm -hmm. friends of ours for a long time. So when we were actually out um, opening up for them on the Open Up and Say Ah Tour, they kind of shrunk our stage, right? Mm -hmm. And it was a little bit awkward because we're, you know, we're, a very physical, you know, band. So one night, uh, Cecil was very kind and he says, tonight, you guys are getting the ramps. We're putting up all the stage. It'll be great, but just don't do what I think you're going to do because we'll have some problems, mm -hmm. but I'm giving you a full stage. I love you. Kisses. <laughs> and we were like, Oh yeah, Cecil, you rock, dude. <laughs> so like, yeah. So we get up and the whole stage is ours, right? Uh-huh. And the, the, the minute we got on that whole stage, the place went berserk. Really? And that's about twenty-five or 30,000 people. Nice. And we were going nuts and the crowd was going nuts. And all of a sudden, I, I see underneath the stage because there was these metal gaps where lights would come out, right? Mm -hmm. I saw Cecil running around and screaming, Pull the rats! Pull the rats! They're killing us! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so great. So in the middle of our set, the ramps were gone. Yeah. It was like, oh, shoot, you go over to the where, the, where they were, and it, you would just fall straight to the ground. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I'll never forget those times. Because nice. Nice. We, we were never given the full lights the uh -huh. full sound the full stage because when we did things got ugly well you had to you eventually i would assume go out on a headlining tour correct maybe oh, yeah. not in we, front we, of we, we poison did. size audiences but you're probably raking no. in you know five thousand people or so yeah. okay yo sure yeah, yeah we were doing uh, big theaters and those are great i i love yeah. all the stuff that we did in the past uh okay all the shows everywhere that we played was was great. Our first Good. tour was 386 days around the world. Oh my gosh! Oh man! Yes, and we wow. ended up in Hawaii. Nice. Basically, not speaking to each other, not really wanting to have yeah. anything to do with each other. Well, that's a long time to stay tied to some guy, right? It yeah. Oh, man, it, now when I look back on it, though, you know, I feel so sad. Yeah, because you know, I want to say, God, you know, we were just so like dumb, dumb. We should have been yeah. really loving on each other and sharing that time, you know. Yeah. Instead of, well, I'm going surfing. Well, I'm going over here. Well, I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, well, yeah. you know, and, and it happens to all bands, you know, sure. because you're just with each other twenty four seven, and 
you just need a little break, and then all of a sudden those breaks become a little bit more, and then there's resentment, and, uh, la, 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 la. Yeah. and then it's it's a relationship. So yeah. we, I look at back at things sometimes, and I go, man, I wish we would have done this. Or, but yeah, I mean, yeah. and I don't I I don't want to rub anybody the wrong, wrong way because when I say these things, I don't mean to be so grandiose mm. or um, saying that we were better than any band uh, at that time, even though the little voice in my head would like to say that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, but I, I won't like that. Yeah. You can say so, whatever you want, um, Mark. It's a safe space. No, no. <laughs> you know, I don't, I just right. rustle some people's feathers and then they're going to come and start dropping bombs yeah, on me. And it's, ah. Yeah. <laughs> so let me, let me ask. Time, you know, oh, we, go did, ahead. we did have our moment when things were, were kicking on sure. in fifth gear and we worked extremely hard, you know, and that's what set the president for, what, what I'm doing now, yeah, you know, the, yeah. the hard work is still there. Yeah. What we were taught by Warner Brothers is still there. What I was taught at Motown still there. Good. What we were taught by when I was taught by Mo Austin, Lenny Warnaker, Ted, sure. Roberta Peterson, the sister. Uh, you know, all these wonderful people that we were so blessed to have around us. Yeah. That uh, I still, that Warner Brothers machine was uh, a mogul, and yeah. they put out hit after hit. I mean, it was insane, and we were very uh, fortunate and lucky mm -hmm. uh, to choose a company because we had so many companies that wanted to come and uh, sign us, but we were sticklers with Warner and we wanted Ted Templeman to do our record because mm -hmm. we just loved all the stuff that he did. Sure. Of course. Um, I want to talk about Ted, but I want to ask you a question first. And if you, sure. and I, I hope you'll answer this honestly. Okay. Tell me what, sure. the, tell me what the best thing about being a rock star at that time was. I don't think there's anything you could say that would incriminate you because everyone knows what a high time that was in general in the music industry. So just tell me what the best part, and and maybe it's nothing salacious. Maybe it's just the satisfaction of knowing, knowing you made it. But tell me what the best thing is. I think it's exactly what you said. Really? The satisfaction that we were in everybody's face and that we were number one, number one on MTV mm -hmm. and that we, we had a huge hit on Billboard. I mean, nice. and, and that we had, that me and Lonnie and, and Mick had, you know, had done it, had mm -hmm. walked away from something and been scorned basically. And, and, you know, kind of really ridiculed and bullied through some of the, you know, the guys that were back then in Hollywood and, you know, they all said, oh, Mark and Lonnie, yeah, whatever's going on, Mark and Lonnie, mm -hmm. you know, like kind of like that, really demeaning and, you know, and stuff. But um, we kind of had, I like that we kind of had our last laugh at that moment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we were able to, to actually put it in people's face that we did have a little bit of talent yeah. and it did take us, you know, Good. to that, to that place, you know? Yeah. Did you and ever think, think the, uh, Oh, go ahead. The fact, the fact that, which ironically still happens to me all constantly, which because the, the band's very pretty popular right now mm -hmm. still, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's having your top down. I just bought a new Corvette. <laughs> and you have your top down and your song comes on the radio. Oh man. And you're just like, is this just, is this unbelievable? I yeah. can't believe this. And you stop at a stoplight and <laughs> you get scared to death because of two uh, cars on your left and on your right are full of chicks screaming at you. <laughs> Okay, and that's the guy that's not really used to it. That you know, sure, just think, sure. oh, cool, I got this thing, whatever. Uh -huh, you know, uh -huh. I'm cool. You know, and yeah. it's just like, oh, yeah. like people freaking out, people fainting in yeah. front of you. 
that's like really heavy, wow. yeah. you know, for, for one, you know, you're so young and you know, this, this was not the uh, social media age or the sure. internet or anything, you know? Right. So okay, it was different. People, it affected people different. So I believe it. I think the fact that able to also too, that we were able to walk into any place and, you know, get a table and people mm -hmm. uh, were extremely ridiculously kind to us, you know, and we'll walk into places and, you know, it, it just, just stuff like that. The little mm -hmm. things, I think that, um, the one thing that I didn't really like, if I can say that, yeah, please, is that your relationship with people that are in your family changes. Mm. I can imagine. Because, you know, cause there's, there's things that come into play with your siblings and, and your, your cousins or, you know, uncles, it just changes. Yeah. And the, the, the dynamic, uh, is, is completely, it's irrelevant yeah. because they, your family, your, your, your family, your cousins, they're, there's this weird kind of jealousy, but, but, but yet happiness for you, but sure. yet, you know, kind of murmuring in the background type of thing. And I always felt that it was really weird yeah. other than my immediate family. But that's the one thing that was weird when you go to family functions and they're like, Oh shit, there he is. <laughs> oh, <no>. you know? <laughs> wow. You know? Yeah. With the big, you know, walking in with the, Hey, what's happening? Guys? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, Oh, she'll have to deal with this asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's not happening. See me, Uncle Chris, right? Okay, <laughs> see you later. Fuck. You know what they're going to tell me? I'm on top of the world. It was just right. like, you know, I'm walk walking around town like I'm fucking Muhammad Ali. So yeah. it's like, yeah. Okay. So, but any stuff like that, you know, but okay. I've, I've always been really loving to every everybody in my family. We were Good. always given and given. But uh, yeah, stuff, stuff yeah. like that. There's got to be some growing Does that sound kind of weird? No, I don't think so at weird, all. Huh? I mean, you hear, that's, I mean, not that, that's why people, you know, they tend to get divorced when they become famous, that kind of thing, you know, or their families yeah, resent them yeah. or they ask them for money and, or they suddenly everyone becomes protective. Yeah. I don't know how to relate to this person that I grew up with and thought I knew, you know, it's jealousy, it's weirdness, things just change. That's understandable. Um, yeah, it's like, yeah, no, okay. Yeah. Totally. So, okay. So I want to, let's talk right. about Ted Templeman for a minute. Um, All right. It, because there are there's a lot of similarities between Bullet Boys and Van Halen. Good ones. Not not in any sort of derivative fashion. This is a band that clearly was wanting to emulate the best. That, to me anyway. And I hear a song like Hang on St. Christopher, which sounds just like something Van Halen would have done with one of the more like acoustic acoustic y bluesy type things. Was that mm, intentional? Mm. You know, was uh, was Ted? Were there 
were there discussions between you and Ted Templeman saying, you know, we're just, we really bring whatever magic you brought to Van Halen, bring it to us. That's the sound we're going for. Or was it? We never, no, we, ne- no. no, I'm so sorry. I interrupted you. No, no, no. I was just going to extrapolate. Yeah. So there was no conversation like that. No, there, you know what, to, to be quite honest, there was never that conversation. Okay. Um, Ted wanted us to just be us. Yeah. And we had a lot of similarities like Van Halen because of the fact that we came from the streets, we came from playing the clubs and, you know, packing the clubs and where are you going to go from there? Yeah. So it's like, there were those similarities. Um, of course, you know, uh, me with that bleach blonde hair running around like mm-hmm. a complete banshee out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the guys in the band were, you know, the way we were, but we were, we were like, I tell people, they go, I go, well, yes, there were some similarities, but I think we were more like the evil Van Halen. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> you okay. know, it was, it wasn't like, you know, Bamba Dita, but it, we yeah. weren't that. We, right. we were more hang on St. Christopher. Mm-hmm. We were more THC groove. Yeah. There was spookiness uh, that mm-hmm. I always still keep in our music. I, and that was very prevalent in a lot of our stuff, especially okay. the first record. I, it had that sound. When I almost listened to the first Van Halen uh, album, which is probably my favorite record ever, probably. Really? Um, oh, good to know. That's nice. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I can't, I don't know if I could say ever because I have so many, or whatever, sure, but we all do. That that album is just like, holy cow. Mm-hmm. It sounded like an atomic bomb went off on that yeah. record. Mm-hmm. I've never, no one's, no one will or ever hear that type of playing or uh, uh, ferociousness mm-hmm. from every player and of that band. Mm-hmm. So there is that similarity with our first record and their first record, I think, because of the bigness, the reverb and, and the way Ted mixes. Um, there was that. It was that okay. bigness of it, the guitar tone, sure. uh, straight straight in, you know, turned to 10, literally, you know. Uh, but uh, we, never, we never really said that we want this sound. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, we're getting great guitar sounds, this amazing drum sound, and we would, Ted would go in and work with Jeff and uh, Hendrickson and you know, we would sit there and work on stuff. And, you know, hey, guys come in and give this a listen. And mm-hmm. we would tell him, eh, or, Oh my God, that was mm-hmm. insane. Mm-hmm. You know? So we kind of like guided where we wanted to go okay. with it, but his main focus was the voice Yeah, yeah. and where that was going to, where everything else was going to sit around it. And yeah. that's, how I still mix and how I was taught by okay. him to mix. Great. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's uh, the drums and the voice, they have to be almost equivalent. Yeah. Uh, in, 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 um, in, uh, in ferociousness, excuse me. And, uh, uh, uh sound, it's gotta be mm-hmm. this, you know, this very full sound. So, and, mm-hmm. and just for the way we have our sound, uh, with big bottom end, Got it. the bullet boys have always had a very, big, you know, it's just, I, the bass has to be prevalent, uh, cause mm-hmm. the, the bass was a, the bass still is to me. It was, a what, that would drove the band, mm, uh, where a lot of bands, they didn't have, um, Ted was a big, uh, always mixed the bass up very, very loud. I always loved that because it just would rumble your seat. Yeah. You know? It's great. Yeah, for sure. Van Halen did not have that bass mm-hmm. as loud as we did. Mm-hmm. Ted felt that the bass should be driving the band to, to, to create a foundation with the drums. So it had a platform. Mm-hmm. So Good. he had a lot to do with that. And Lonnie's, okay. 
he didn't really create that sound. Lonnie created that bass sound because of his amp and the way he plays. But the fact that he recorded it and got that sound was, you know, was amazing. Yeah. Because yeah. it really drove the band. I mean, who opens up a song with a bass line like we did with TC? <laughs> 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 rock song for that time you know I, I, you yeah. know you look at stuff and some of the stuff that we did and just going like so it's that was a big yeah. thing and to okay. have the voice you know sitting right there right in your face yeah and definitely. I think that's what Van Halen had they yeah. had the voice sitting right in the face with the guitar blaring you know with the drums mm-hmm. just fucking you know just that he hit that foundation yeah did you ever think and when you sang those first notes of smooth up in you that you'd have to sing and hit that note for the rest of your life it can't be easy. I mean, you're in your 50s I, now. It can't be easy to still hit that note. No, it's still pretty easy for me. Really? Yeah, oh, not, good for you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's not, It's not. Um, you know, it's it, It's my voice. So it's okay. Like, it's, okay. Well, oh, good. But good. No, I, it, and no it's, I, it, okay. I love singing that. I love well, singing that opening line. Of course. I just wonder if somebody, you know, like um, uh, Aha and Take On Me. Like that, you know, he's got to hit that that high note in the chorus for the rest of his oh, life, yeah. and he can't do it anymore. Understandably, oh, that's not a criticism. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I'm kind of, you know, comparing. Uh, I'm just thinking, man, Mark, that can't be easy in his 50s to keep hitting the smooth up Indian notes there at the beginning. Well, it's. If you listen to the uh, From Out of the Skies, I'm doing some of that stuff on this record. Okay. So okay. there's some there's some Great. screaming and yelling on some of this stuff. So nice. I'm um, singing well, up I'm not, in the higher I'm, registers. I mean, yeah, you still got it. There's no question. I just wondered. So uh, I want to now. One of the things we talk about on here is sort of the business side of things. I want to get into this a little bit more later. But one of my favorite Bullet Boy songs. In fact, getting ready to talk to you, I've been playing this song on repeat. Is Rock Candy from the Wayne's World soundtrack. And oh, okay. um, I just, I think that is such a killer, killer version of that song. And, um, oh, thank you. Sure. Now, that was a really successful movie, and I have sort of an obsession with movie soundtracks. I just, I love them. Yeah. And I'm awesome. curious, yeah, and I'm curious how I, you know, I know the, I think the soundtrack was pretty successful, maybe not multi millions, but that, that was a gigantic movie at the time. Oh, yeah, no, it sold, it sold millions of records. So, okay. Yeah, okay. So how did that, I mean, if you're, I hope that's not too indelicate to ask, but how, how did that financially impact your life, a movie like that? And do you see, you know, mailbox money every time that movie gets played? 
Uh, no, not not necessarily because okay. it was a um, it was a cover song. Uh-huh. So uh, we redid a, a Montrose song, so yep. th- we don't receive any of that. But uh, monetarily, did it really do anything for us? Uh, I, I don't think really it did, but I think more it uh, brought us into the fact that uh, that we should be doing soundtracks. I wish mm-hmm. we would have been doing a lot more movie scores mm-hmm. and soundtracks. I thought that, you know, what we were going to be getting more involved in uh, at the time after we did that, and then... It never uh, quite uh, came into fruition. That's too but, bad. Uh, yeah, I know. It, but uh, no, it was something that Sammy just loved it, by the way. And I, oh, I just love Sammy Hager with all my heart. He just loves it. Good. Um, yeah, he, uh, Ted Templeman played it for him. And, and uh, we weren't there when he played it for him, of course, when he tells, goes, listen, Sammy just loves you guys. He hails what you guys did with this. Nice. Uh, because we, we changed the song a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, put, uh, we put this a riff to it mm-hmm. so there was a little bit more of a riff a longer it, we slowed it down making it more uh, uh, how would you say uh uh just a slower groove you mm-hmm. know it sounded mm-hmm. like a mastodon was walking through the yes. room you know yes so that yeah. that's that's you know that's the boy's sound that that mm-hmm. big <sighs> you know that sound that groove you know so mm-hmm. uh that's how we changed it and made it a little bit more sinister i thought Okay. Yeah. Well, I, lo- I mean, that's, it, I love it. And you guys are especially good at covers. I mean, you know this. For the love of money off the first album, it's killer. Was that, um, you know, what goes into you guys selecting a cover? Do you see yourselves as like, this is a little kind of a magic trick that we have. We're really good at this. And so we're going to very carefully select these things. Or is it more just off the cuff? I think it's more relating to the uh, to the great and magical bands that came before us. The mm-hmm. Rolling Stones, the Beatles, um, Van Halen, guys that actually did covers in their own way. Mm-hmm and made it their, their song. So, uh, we were really, it was my idea to do for the love of money as a homage uh, to Motown. And mm-hmm. plus I just loved the OJs with all my heart, just an amazing band. Yeah. Uh, I got to see them when I was really, really young and they, they, they were just amazing. 
So to be able to actually put that down in a rock format was uh, kudos to all of us for finding that groove and, and uh, us actually working on it and, mm-hmm. and thinking it would work because yeah. uh, no one had ever tried to attempt to do something like that uh, up to do an uh, R&B song in a rock mm-hmm. format, mm-hmm. Uh, especially bands from uh, that genre. So it's something that it, there we were again, that we were taking risks. So I think we've always kind of done that from album to album. Um, we took a big risk with the uh, freak show and, and releasing our first single, the THC groove people, uh, thought, you know, they, we had to call it the hardcore groove, mm-hmm. but everybody knew what THC meant. So we were frequenters of the, of the plant back then. Mm-hmm. And some of us still now. And, okay. uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. got it. And, uh, okay. So, um, so, you know, it's like we were always trying to push the push the envelope a bit in our own way, and being uh, this funky band uh, with uh, four different guys that have all these different eclectic musical uh, likes, you know. Mm-hmm. So we've always we've always done that. So that's okay. Nice. Cool. Now I had heard you mention, I think, in another interview or read it somewhere, that you had said that um, when grunge came along and sort of you know erased all the 80s hair metal or hard rock or however you want to say it that was popular at the time, but it didn't really affect you guys because you didn't Not see yourselves it. as being in that kind of a genre. But So I'm curious, when an album like Zaza comes out, which is a little more eclectic maybe than the first two, uh, it still rocks, but it, it's like you, like you were saying about the new album, it's kind of expanding on some different uh, styles or a little more diverse. Well, Zaza was a very difficult record to make. Uh, I think that we were all kind of just not really uh, in tune with each other, mm. and uh, probably the demise of, of that of that, that at that time of, of those guys. People were more interested in what they. Uh, it wasn't music anymore. So mm. all of a sudden we were this pop band, and we yeah. we were never a pop band. We were we never we were never that, and. Uh, uh, you know, the powers that be or the, some musicians in the band wanted us to do that. And me and Lonnie were vehemently against it. Uh, we were felt like we were uh, getting walked on and uh, really wanted to put on our walking shoes because we'd had it. We'd already written a record that was very heavy and uh, Warner Brothers didn't want to put it out. They, mm-hmm. they wanted something lighter. You know, they had had success with uh, with their their amazing bands with lighter stuff. I mean, you know, we were always told that Jump was one of the biggest Van Halen songs mm-hmm. that they ever had. So, mm-hmm. but we were going the opposite way. We were getting heavier and, and a little bit more, um, not raunchier. What's a um, uh, more eclectic with our words and, uh, yeah. and our and our lyrics, and you know, so it was going something different. But then Zaza came out, and it was just like, you know, these songs. It, it, I, I it's one of my least favorite records. Oh, really? Um, oh. Other other than the song, one song that I just love, that's my probably my only favorite song on that record, would be a song called Mine. Oh, um, good one. Yeah. Which was which was written by Mick Sueda. Um, I remember when he first played it for us, I was just I just loved it. Good. I just, I just thought it was like, wow, this is you know, yeah, this is this is an amazing song, and kudos to him for really stepping out of the box. Nice. Really, yeah. I mean, uh, for all intents and purposes, uh, Nick worked extremely hard and diligent in the band, and he always was trying to get us to out of our haze of our craziness to focus. So he was older than us, so he was always trying to get us to 
focus in on things. Sure, but that sure. was one of the things that we had okay. to do, really focusing on that record was that song. Yeah. And I, I love that song. So I do too. The performance, everything that we did on it. Nice. Uh, it was just this bebop song mm-hmm. from a rock band mm-hmm. that was just like, are you guys kidding me? And Ted <laughs> loved it. Yeah. So Ted was just like, wow, you know, this is incredible. Yeah. So, that, that to me was just like... Good, okay. That was my favorite song on that record. Good, okay. So going back to the business side of things, and, you know, the personal as well. I mean, you are you guys are entering... You're entering one of those transitions that I talked about. It's just that now it's kind of the reverse, where things were really taken off. Now, and I'm not saying this was necessarily your fault. This was just sort of the way that the music business was going at the time. Uh, that wave was sort of crashing on the shore and then going back out. So... Have you, I mean, have you ever had to do, get a job outside of music? How do you, how did you continue to pay your bills during those, those down years, like the acid monkey years and stuff like that? You know, how did uh, you did, do it? We didn't have, we did we didn't have a down year with acid monkey. Uh, we were oh, touring good. constantly. The ironic thing about it and the beautiful thing about it was a lot of the bands that were coming out of Seattle would come to see us play. Um, Andrew Woods, uh, who I just miss and just love so de- loved so dearly, mm-hmm. uh, would come to see us play. I know that uh, a couple of um, the guys from uh, Allison Chains would come and see us play. Mm-hmm. In fact, we were one of the first bands actually that, that discovered Allison Chains and had them opening, had them open up for us. As no way. We were the first national national act that they ever opened up before they were even signed. Yeah. Okay, that's so great. I just love, I love Jerry. He's yeah. just amazing. We've known those guys for many years, and uh, yeah, we 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 basically kind of discovered them. Oh, cool. So, okay. Yeah, we we pulled them up into the ranks, and you know, and uh, we pulled them out when we were doing you know playing these uh, events where we were. Mm-hmm. You know, playing in front of 30,000 people at Long Beach Arena, and you know, and having them watch us play and stuff. I just, they, I just love those guys. They, Good. they just took it to another level. But yeah. we were a band that really like were musicians were coming out of Seattle that really despised a lot of. I won't mention the bands, but really mm-hmm. despised them. Sure. But we were not. You didn't despised. get lumped into we that. Were, okay. Good. No, we never did because. Good for you. Um, yeah, because you know we we had guys like you know Pantera that loved us that that mm. came out and hung out with us and traveled with us and 
you know, uh, bad brains would come to our show. And mm. we, there was guys, I mean, James Hetfield would come to our shows all the time mm. uh, to come and see us play in San Francisco. Amazing. Um, so there, there was guys that got what we were doing. Yeah. And the reason why was because the songs and the music and the yeah. performance okay. were at a very high level. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't the stick of, guys with hairspray in their hair Got it. we had long hair like the 70s guys we we, we wanted to be a 70s band you know we, mm-hmm. we wore bell bottoms and you know we we wanted to be that band we were that band you know so it's like people got it because we were real with it and we weren't trying to create some type of phony carnival show that wasn't us we were plug and play punk rock you know mm-hmm. hard rock that okay. Was, that's what we did. Okay. So when the when the hits kind of dried up and the album sales weren't at their peak, you were still able to maintain a decent living touring, it sounds like, which I'm guessing you've been yeah. able to do to this day. Yeah, well, I you know, there there's been there's been moments where I did have mm-hmm. to get a job, uh and uh uh some people helping me and sleeping on couches and different sure. things like that. You what know? did you do um, when you had but, to get a regular job? What did you do? I'm curious. It didn't really last very long because I got fired from it. <laughs> <laughs> Not surprised. Not well, surprised. I, I, worked for, I worked for as a courier for Aaron Spelling's company. Oh, interesting. And uh, I was able to deliver a lot of stuff to his home. And he was always very kind to uh, people that worked uh, for his company and uh, there was always parties at his, you know, at downtown in his office, and they would invite the couriers up to eat food, and you know, he was very, very kind to us. So that's one of the things I did. And uh, I had a, uh, there was a dispatcher guy. I, this guy, he was so brutal, dude. A couple guys um, uh, from a couple other bands who had the same job, and mm-hmm. we'd all played big places and all that stuff. So he would berate us. Really? While he was sending us to places, oh, and he had a really strong, you know, this real strong uh, Australian accent. Daddy would talk to us all day. Listen to me, you bloody <laughs> assholes. You're not playing in under fucking form anymore. And you're not eating your little crumpets and doing your cooking. Get to this fucking thing right now. Half an hour, you're fired. Quick. <laughs> he would say shit to us like that. I'd wow. be like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> and I would call him back, uh, you know, on our on our on the walkie-talkie go. <laughs> Dude, that is not cool, man. That's so yeah. what, what are you telling me? You heard me go to this fucking thing. Now you're in the, the now you're in the real working world, you assholes. Click. And he would treat us like shit. What? But this 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 there was a method to his madness. Mm. When we would come in and get our checks, he would always talk to the guys that had made it. Mm-hmm. And he goes, So how long are you gonna fucking stay at this shit job? And not get your shit together and get out there and start playing again. You guys are, you guys are wimps. Mm-hmm. You call us. You guys are a bunch of wimps. Mm-hmm. And we get pissed. Yeah. And you're like, well, yeah. Well, you go try to do that right now. And oh yeah. And he said, you guys are just afraid. You're afraid to show your wares. Mm. You know, it's like, it's like woo. Yeah. And we get back in our trucks and shit, and we'd be, you know, talk about that dude. You know, it's like we would be just like so angry. Yeah. And then one day he just said, here's your check. I don't want you here anymore. Uh, what are you talking about? He goes, you need to get back to what you were doing. You shouldn't be here. Don't you uh, understand this? Uh, You're too talented to be here. Yeah. I'm not talented. You, you, and you and I. Get out. That's it. Wow. And he fired us. And it, and it probably worked. I mean, I, it sounds like he's trying to motivate you yeah. to get back to what you yeah. love doing. Okay. Yeah. 
and, and let me tell you something. Some days it was just brutal days, like driving yeah. from here to San Diego, back, back to San Diego, sure. back then all the way to Santa Barbara. I mean, it was, it was brutal. It was, it's not, wasn't, it was hard picking up all kinds of, it was just crazy, yeah, but it, I believe it. it paid very, very well. Good. Good. So that's okay. the things I did. I also did a, um, uh, after that, when they fired me, I tried to get another job doing kind of the same thing. I worked for this um, Jaguar company hmm. and I worked there for a couple of weeks and I came, came in, this really nice guy. He goes, Hey, Mark, how's it going this morning? I go, great. I go, what, what do you got for me this morning? He goes, I got your check and I think it's time for you to go and do what you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the universe is sending you a message. And I go, really? Well, if I'm going to go, I'm going to have some breakfast with you. What do you want? Because the food truck was there. (laughs) So I went and grabbed a burrito or something. We sat down and I started telling you everything. And he goes, I can't have you here, man. He goes, there's like people coming in and go, hey, is that guy that used to be the singer for the Bowler Boys? He goes, you don't want that to happen. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know, this guy could be. And sure enough, right after that, Started getting doing good. my thing, get, picking back up, getting back into it, everything else, and good. I could go on what happened to me after that, but, yeah. <laughs> but right well, now we're where we stand. We're we're you're in good after shape. The popularity of Elefante, good, and us bettering Elefante with mm. our new album is is this is what people are. A lot of people have been telling me with uh, that have heard uh, the record, partial record. They're just you. Wh- how did you go from that? To this, mm-hmm. what inspired you? Did you try to outdo your other record? And the answer is yes. Yeah. So give me the details. I mean, when does it come out? Um, what's it called? Okay. I don't. I mean, you know, pimp it for us. Tell us when yeah, when sure. to get it. Uh, when, our new album is called From Out of the Skies. Okay. It is on Frontiers SRL, mm-hmm. and the record drops March the twenty third. Okay. Perfect. Worldwide. Okay. And uh, good. Yeah. I I can't wait to hear it. And uh, we'll try and time this the release of this episode to close to. I got some thing, other things in the pipeline, but we'll try to time it so that this comes out close to that oh, time to do some promotion. You know, one thing I was curious yeah. about: um, Do you guys? <clears throat> so there's a lot of like package tours, especially if you're like an '80s band, and not not your kind of '80s band, but if you're like Wang Chung and the Cutting Crew and Naked Eyes and. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, Tommy yeah. Tuto, and I've seen him, you know, a million of oh, those yeah. shows, and I love them. I love those bands too, by the way. Yes. But I've always wondered why there isn't, you know, Bullet Boys and Britney Fox and Rat and whoever. You know, I'm just throwing names out there. I know you played with Rat. I, well, you, can I give you a little little insight? I'm not yeah. really supposed to talk about this. Oh. But we're gonna be we're gonna be headlining a very, very big tour for the first time yes. with a lot of bands. Good. Uh, from from hopefully from from that time, we're working on it right now. The powers that be, and it's going to be a very big thing. Um, I, I don't even want to talk because it's scary to talk okay. about it. That's okay. But the fact that we just told we're told today that the powers that be would like us to headline this now. Excellent. So we're like, okay. so my agent was like, "It's your time, Mark." And That's I was talking great. to him on the phone just a little while ago. So I go. It's kind of scary. It's like a, he goes, "Are you kidding me?" Right. He goes, "Stop with that!" So like we were joking around and stuff, but Good. we're getting blessed right now. Uh, like he says, "Dude, God blessed us." And my Good. agent told me that he says, this this fell. He says, "Literally, like you said, from out of the skies." Nice. 
He goes, and, and all this stuff is starting to come falling from <laughs> That's amazing. I go, you're, you're freaking me out. He goes, no, I am serious, dude. I'm getting so many calls right now. He goes, and uh, we just had a wonderful, um, I had a wonderful meeting with our, our radio, uh, our radio dude, uh, Mr. Uh, Mundy Ricci, uh, who is uh, going to be taking this to radio, to restaurant radio stations all over the mm-hmm. country. And, uh, you know, we, we really trying to take this to the other level. And he sure. told me today that, that he was completely flabbergasted because he's been inundated with him not putting the stuff out to give to people and calling mm. to ask them to play it, but for people calling him to ask him to give them the song so they can play it. Great. He goes, Mark, do you have any idea what that means? I go, dude, stop it. I'm going to pull my car over right now and start crying. <laughs> right. I mean, you got to be kidding me. Good. And, and, you know, it's just, he's just, you know, with all the love in his heart and giving me all this love and, um, we're all about the love, dude. We're, yeah. You know, people talk about it, but we're really trying to, you know, bring an uplifting feeling uh, to everybody with this, you know, from this little band from SoCal called Bullet Boys, sure. whatever we are. I mean, shoot. I mean, uh, a couple of shout outs. Definitely. I, I say this in every, uh, uh, every interview that I've been doing, uh, all props and all love and all thank yous uh, go out to, uh, everybody at 606 recording studios and Lou for helping us get in there. Uh, and the brilliant and loving, uh, Mr. David Grohl for, mm. uh, getting, inviting us into his studio, um, to record this record. Um, I, I was completely flabbergasted that, uh, that he gave the okay. He loved the music. He thought we were taking risks on this record Good. and he just said that you need to be here. Good. You need to be here to create this. Good. Use these hollowed walls. I said, we, 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 I mean, mm-hmm. I can't really talk to you about everything that we mm-hmm. chatted about, but I, I've never met him before, but I, I know everybody else in the mm-hmm. band. So, you know, uh, uh, not as far as hanging out all the time sure. and stuff, but sure. we're close acquaintances. And, you know, we just sat and talked about so many things because I've gone through so much in my personal life. And I told him that, uh, you know, when I went through this horrible situation and, um, I was living in Florida and I said, your music saved my life. Oh, I said, really? it literally did. And I, I was talking to him about a couple of songs and he goes, do you know why I wrote him, Mark? Mm-hmm. And I said, why? Cause he goes, because exactly what you just said. No way. Cause I've been through it too. No way. Amazing. Like, wow, that is and It was just like, dude, it was like so rad. I was just like, yeah. I was just like almost in tears, like, like sure. sitting there talking to him and, and just like, the fact that that he really cared about what was going on, and we, you know, and then he told me the story about about him living on the same, right next to me, and on the same block in North Hollywood in the nineties when he first started the Foos. Dude, it was like this crazy stuff. I'm like, stop it! You, you're killing me here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it, it was like these really cool things, like the six degrees of separation thing that we've never been able to, you know, actually meet. So it was it was very amazing and very rad. So. Um, Kudos all to him and, uh, and cool. huge love and thank yous. Uh, another shout out would be to uh, uh, my friend uh, and amazing wizard, uh, Mr. Jesse Hughes from the Eagles of Death Metal, mm. uh, who came and, and graciously sang on our, our first single, which uh, is going to be uh, The Evil.
he came in and sang on that thing, you know, at the 13th hour, and just just Tell really her. brought magical stuff to that That's song. That's great. And to have both of our voices in there, and yeah. uh, for him to be so loving and kind, and and uh, all the all the all the members of the ODM just being inviting me into their family and yeah. being so kind and loving to me has been a very humbling experience for that me. That is great. So kudos to them and, Good for, and you, for these people that have stepped up. Uh, Got to have these these magical wizards, and yeah. uh, I say this because we don't make magic; we create it. Mm. And uh, I've learned that with with Jesse, and uh, I've learned a lot of different things. He's a hero to me, a mm. rock hero. No one's yeah. ever gone through what he's gone through in his yeah. band. Yeah. Uh, Davy Joe Catching, uh, I love him with all my heart. He's an amazing, amazing human. He has more love in his heart than the the size of the the country. He's just one of those cats, and you know, uh, to be able to be invited into that scene when it's all about music and it's not about anything else. It's just about music. Mm-hmm. You know, then that's where, where I'm at. Cool. Uh, me and Jesse have a lot of similarities in their life. So we, um, and uh, it was just, it's just a magical thing to me. It's just really yeah. amazing. Uh, they invited me in to uh, sing on their new, uh, they're going to be, they actually got finished doing the whole soundtrack for Super Troopers 2. Oh yeah. So, uh, me and Jesse are doing a duet nice. for the new single. We redid the Bruce Springsteen song, um, Blinded by the Light. Oh, great. Oh, that sounds great. super rad, dude. Cool. It's I can't wait so to hear that. Rad. Good. I mean, it just, what? It just, it, you know, those guys just put the swing to the song and they yeah. changed it and, and they made it sound really cool and spooky. And, and me and, me and Jesse are singing, you know, do the duet through it and stuff. So it's, I'm, I'm just, I feel really cool. blessed, dude. Well, good. It sounds like it's a, it's a real, uh, it's a high time for bullet boys right now. You're sort of having a Renaissance as you should Yeah. at a good time. Oh, thank so you. I'm really glad. Oh, thanks so really much. Glad. Uh, Lots, well, a lot of hard work. I'll tell you that. I believe it. You know, I believe been, it. And we've been working our keisters off. <laughs> yeah. I'm not surprised, but you earned the, you've earned the success. I'm glad. Oh, well, look, thank Mark, you. thanks for talking to me, man. I've been a fan and been really fascinated by oh. you for 30 years. And so I'm really glad that we had oh, a chance thank you to so talk. Much. Thank you for being so gracious to me and uh, kind and uh, really asking me some poignant questions. I-, I hope I was able to answer them Absolutely. for you yes. and that uh, that you're happy with the, with the answers. But uh, I really want to yeah. thank you for talking to me and being so demonstrative uh, with your love for what I do. It means, it means everything to me, dude. You have no idea. You have no idea how much it means to me. Maybe people tell you that, but I wear my heart on my sleeve and uh, I've been through a lot personally and for someone to be uh, gravitating to my music in this day and age as, as we are getting older and and, uh, me trying and being at the top of my game right now and you realizing that means a lot to me. Thank you. There you have it, Mark Torian. I hope you guys liked that. I liked Mark a lot. He was just so gracious. That's the word that keeps coming to mind. Really good dude. And I gotta say, we're gonna close it out here with one of the best songs off that Elefante album. This is called Symphony, and this one goes out to Chris Sinzak of the Decibel Geek podcast. I know he's a big fan of this song. Now, little teaser for next week. Next week is the front person for one of the seminal new wave, American new wave bands of the late 70s, early 80s. They were, I guess, technically probably three hit wonders, but um, they too are releasing a new album uh, the week that you're hearing this. So uh, there's a really interesting conversation to be had there too. Hope you guys will come back and, and enjoy that one as well. 
as always, you know the deal by now. You can find us on Facebook and like our page. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. And you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. You may have noticed I haven't done a midsection the last couple of weeks. That's because, frankly, we haven't gotten a ton of shares. And the ones we do are the same people I thank and, and, uh, and call out every week. And there's no new reviews. We need you guys to write us some reviews, preferably in iTunes. So anyway, there's just not a ton to report. I will uh, compile everything, though, and we'll do a big one one of these days when there is. Okay? And huge thanks, as always, to Yan the man, Makevich, for putting everything together. Thank you, buddy. All right, we'll see you guys next Tuesday. <laughs>